You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon for episode 386. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Howdy. It's morning for me. Thank you very much. I'm drinking coffee, and I'm not going to complain about it because it's fine. Okay. Well then, <laughs> it's gonna be that uh, kind of show, is it? Yeah, yeah, testy. So, um, since this is episode three six, do we need to have the little Intel Inside jingle? <laughs> do, is it an SX do, or a DX? I was gonna go there, but I thought that was gonna be too obscure. Well, that's sort of my specialty, isn't it? <laughs> I can't. I can't do the. I can't. I don't think I can do the jingle. How does it go? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been way too long. <laughs> we could just we, use we could just use the Intel Inside sticker. Uh, and I'm running AMD, which is funny. So anyway, <laughs> you are a smart man. Yes, yes. may as well go ahead and label this episode Intel Inside. So let's talk about airplanes because yeah. this was a terrible beginning. Uh, IAG has confirmed that they're ordering 737 Maxes. Yeah, so this is this goes back to I guess it was 2019. One of the air shows right after they were grounded. IAG, which is International Airlines Group, parent company for BA, Welling, Iberia, Aer Lingus, uh, announced an MOU for 200 planes, um, and it was very, very, very soft as orders go. Um, but you know, Boeing was super happy to have that, uh, and then it was like, nope, it's just still a discussion point. Now they finally confirmed that they're actually going to take some of them. <laughs> um, and it's this was like the meekest airline order announcement I've ever seen. I feel like, uh, especially for a major group. So it's, it's fifty planes, twenty five each of the eighty two hundred in the dash ten, um, plus one hundred options. Uh, deliveries from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty seven, and can be used by any airline in the group for fleet replacement. Um, that alone is like, and the fact that they're not saying where they're going to go is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, that was actually going to be my next question is where are these going? But now we know. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> not. not disclosed, obviously. But, like, if the 8200s go anywhere other than Welling, that's a crazy decision, I feel like, in some ways. But in other ways, like, I mean, Aer Lingus has to compete with Ryanair. Yeah. Should it have 8200s for some of its, you know, continental Europe routes? Um, and the, is the 8200 just the 8, the eight series? Is that... It's the eight series, so it's based off the Dash Eight, but it's got the additional. If I remember correctly, it's it's. I think they did wider doors. Mm-hmm. It's something something changed for the exiting for Vax, and I I can't remember if it's wider doors or if they have the extra door like the nine in the ER had, like okay. the nine hundred ER had. Yeah, um, yep. but it's something to let people evacuate better. It's either that or they actually made the front and back doors a little wider. So you got two at a time instead of one at a time. Gotcha. Okay. If I remember correctly. So, um, but that's the one that the max seating capacity is much higher. Okay. And then the dash 10 is a longer, it's a stretch that lets them similarly add a bunch of seats. Um, and also I think it's supposed to change the range a bit, but we won't know that until it's actually certified and flying. And that's, that's the one that's really a big question because, right, that's that we've talked about this a little bit before, the certification stuff of it's not going to be done by the end of this year. And so is it going to have to have the new alerting features in the flight deck? Mm-hmm. EASA certainly wants it to and wanted that on you know, the rest of them also, but didn't get it. Um, but Boeing is on the offensive saying there's no evidence to suggest that it needs that. So um, not until one crashes, right? Again. Um, so the... <laughs> the but wait a so, minute. <clears throat> to be fair, the tens haven't crashed yet because they haven't been entered in service. No, Airbus hasn't sp- fixed their split brain problem. Oh yeah, it's true. Yes, and that is a far more disastrous consequence than the stuff Boeing because it impacts the entire Airbus fleet. And the, and and the EU hasn't forced them to do anything about that. Yeah. Or yes, it hasn't forced them to do anything about that. Yeah, yeah, right. And we have an actual crash that was caused because of that, and the second one that almost happened. Yep. Good point. Too that we know of. Touche. Um, I, I'm in favor of fixing all things that are broken. I am too, but this uh, this seems like less about the actual issue and more about politics. Hmm. I 
I'm quite certain there's a lot of politics going on in terms of, and not that anyone will admit it, but there's, there's definitely a lot of politics going on in terms of how these planes are being, or how the rules are coming about for these planes. Yeah. I won't argue that. So, so with, with- either way, my, 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 but back to the order, I can't figure out like where the 8200s would go other than Welling. And then if you have the 10s, like it's only 25, which is sort of a lot, but not really. And I mean, could BA reintroduce the 737s? Sure. Sure. But it's got a huge, right now they fly a pretty um, sizable Airbus fleet. And yeah, and, and like, and. Yeah, sorry, my brain is not useful these days. Um, with Neos, even. But a bunch of the Airbuses are probably a bit dated there, at this point. There's some old ones, no doubt. But, like, again, what is, like... What does Aer Lingus in Iberia fly? So, sorry, I'm just looking up here. British British Airways single aisle is 150-ish, 130-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in that range, single aisle Airbus planes. That's that's a lot. Um to deal with and that the what's both some of the 320s and the 321s are neos so there's that that is being refreshed in that way it would be weird in my mind to go um to a max from there but sure why not iberia it's a much smaller fleet they've got about 40 but again but that one makes sense to me right because iberia is further from a lot of places than britain Right? Depends on where you're going, I guess. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You could do some of the further Middle East stuff even with Dash 10. The 10? The yeah. T- the 10's range isn't as big as the 8 or 9, I thought, though. It was so oh, weird. Okay. They like they stretched it but didn't have fuel tanks, but it's better than. I think it'd be better than the 8200 at that capacity, maybe. But it's more of a, we want a lot of seats, but also for the passengers to be comfortable rather than we just want a lot of seats. Yeah, is it? I mean, Aer Lingus took, didn't they take some A321s for their trans, their transatlantic stuff? Yeah, they're running LRs these yeah. days. So I don't think they're going to replace those. That's right. right. I think all of these are a bit dated. Yeah, that's true. Right. They're t- going back to 2000 and 2001. They've got some newer ones, but. Yeah, I mean, all of those stuff needs to be replaced, but like they sort of have ongoing Neo replacements. And so switching any of that to Max, it's, it's hard to figure out to sort out where they want to put it. Yep. Um, is I guess where I end up with. Let's see here if I got max range. Yeah, the range on the Max Ten is actually shorter than the Max Eight or the Max Nine by two hundred and fifty nautical miles. Oh wow! Okay. Um, but it's designed. It should have you know, two hundred and four, two hundred thirty seats maximum, rather than two ten max on the eighty two hundred. So it's, hmm. but in a two cabin layout, it's about two hundred seats. It's. We can fit 200 people on here comfortably, or we can fit 200 people on here not comfortably, are the two models that <laughs> <laughs> IEG bought. And, and it, I'm sure they've got a good reason. I'm sure they got them cheap. I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll put them somewhere. It's just a little weird to me. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because they ha- IAG has been somewhat Airbus-centric as of late. So, and, and Iberia is mostly, almost all Airbus. I mean, even their long-haul fleet is all Airbus. So... Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Um, extra just, pair of exit doors. They did actually use add extra doors on the Mac on the two hundred. Mm. So, but I mean, they you know the this is a business where cost matters, right? So clearly, Boeing has open slots and is willing to be more aggressive on pricing than Airbus right now. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, you're right. It could be a case where BA says we'll take these dash tens and we'll just rather than use maybe a. What are they using now? They, they sometimes put a triple seven on some of the European routes. They, could they do, can't run them transatlantic. Yeah, but I'm saying on the on these on these European oh. routes, like like you know, intra Europe, where they fly from London to oh, like Frankfurt. the London Cairo or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wide body. I I have to assume that part of the demand for the wide body there is cargo on some of those routes. Mm-hmm. So um, who knows? But yeah, it's. I mean, they're not. I mean, they're probably not going to get some of these until 2026, 27. So. I got a little. T- I got a little time. <laughs> um, Delta and United are really duking it out for Cape Town. So much energy for three slots. <laughs> <sighs> so much energy. So much snark. Honestly, it's fun. Um, so the U.S. South Africa bilateral treaty limits 
U.S. airlines to 21 weekly frequencies between the two countries. Seven of those are allocated to United for its Johannesburg service. Seven are allocated from Newark. Seven are allocated to Delta for its Johannesburg service from Atlanta, which it now sort of wants to maybe run a triangle route via Cape Town for some mm-hmm. of that. It tried that a while ago, and we're still working on that. Um, and three are allocated to United's Cape Town service from Newark, leaving four slots available. Both United and Delta have requested three of those four to be able to run service from either Dulles or Atlanta to Cape Town nonstop. And the DOT, because the two of you know, because there's contention on it, the DOT has to hold a hearing to decide. And the airlines submit all of their justifications and, you know, arguments and it's all public data and it's amazing to read. Quite frankly, if you're into, you know, nuanced snarkiness from lawyers, uh, from airline lawyers. So, uh, okay, so you just said that uh, Delta wants to run a triangle route and that they're still applying for this? Is that a... Is it I think a, the triangle route is a stopgap or yeah. a... Just in case. The yeah. triangle route was, isn't... Do they not have the range? I thought it was because they don't have the range from Joburg. So part of the problem Delta faces is that the A350-900s are limited um, and there's a newer higher max takeoff weight version that's supposed to help with some of that. Um, and Delta has some of those. I've seen something about Delta's version of that. Their lease includes a derated engine, so they can't even get full performance out of some of the newer models. I'm not sure how that works or if that's true, but that has been reported. Regardless, Delta is restricted out of Joburg, especially in the Joburg summer, with, uh, even with the 350. And that's actually one of the interesting bits of data that went into the filing. Both the airlines were asked to, and you know, how many passengers and how much cargo are you going to be able to carry? And Delta said that it can do, I think, three or four thousand pounds of cargo southbound and one thousand pounds northbound out of Cape Town. Uh, and Delta and United says it can do at least four thousand and maybe fourteen thousand if it's a seventy percent load factor, which. The other the planes aren't always going to be full of passengers. So on the 77-9, United is saying it can get significantly more cargo capacity. It's still not like tons and tons, but, uh, well, in the literal sense of tons, yes. But um, <laughs> I'm glad you caught yourself. Yeah, still not a massive amount given the theoretical overall payload capacity of those planes because it is a very, very, very long flight. But when you run a trip to the edge of the range of the aircraft, you have to make compromises in terms of some of the other, what you're going to have his payload and see the people are packages. But 4,000 versus a thousand, that's a three, three X increase, right? That while it might not seem like a lot. No, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, the stuff that gets shipped by air, that's a lot. And I, and I would think a lot more is coming from South Africa potentially to the United States, just wine and different things. So yeah, I would bet most wine doesn't travel by air. No, you don't think so? I should. There's a lot of produce coming from South Africa. Oh, that's yeah. true, too. Yeah. It, wine doesn't spoil. I, I, I think the reason I remember that, among other things, is, A, it doesn't spoil. But when you get the Beaujolais Nouveau at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. there's, like, a handful of cases that show up if you want it that weekend for dinner because they flew them in. And then, like, everything shows up two weeks later on a container ship. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, and the sense. price drops from, like, an absurd price of for a not very good wine to a reasonable price for a not very good wine. <laughs> Why you have uh, opinions? Why you ask? So, okay, it, maybe maybe the airlines are arguing the wrong point. Maybe they need to expand the number of slots between the the, the two areas, right? Because Fair. because South African isn't in, actually flying international anymore. Yeah, or so not flying transatlantic. Yeah, so I mean, your options are connect through Europe or fly one of these, you know, four twenty one slots. Why not or have fly more? in the Middle East? But yeah, um, that's a fair question. Uh protectionism oh no i get it i just i think maybe how would you convince the south african government to change that you don't have an airline (laughs) ah but we do they are we have invested yet another billion rand in them and this time we think we really got it sorted out and we want to make sure we're going to have those slots available when we finally get back on our feet look we went and bought more 340s 500s and 600s great use of fuel they bought 350s this time, didn't they? And then <laughs> had to return them? Like an hour and a half later? I got a deal. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. We're so, talking about deals on three used 350s in a minute, boss. We're not quite there yet. Um, so, so what happens then 
I mean, the DOT then makes the decision. Is it kind of just? Yes. They... So it's all. It's the the whole thing comes down to what is in the in the best interests of the public good. And I'll say the other thing is like the, the statistics about this is how many passengers fly between the two countries. This is where they come from. We can connect these passengers more smoothly than they can. Mm-hmm. All of the that data is amazing in some ways, and like just you know, I. Have a, have a problem with getting sucked into data like that. I really enjoy reading this that stuff. So it's really interesting to me. I will say Delta, when it's produced all of its charts, there's like, you know, bar charts and we have this many and they have that many and all this stuff. Like absolutely did not use a zero basis for the Y axis. It's an egregious use of charting to misrepresent data. Their filing is terrible in, about that. Like, are, are you, I mean, are you surprised though? I mean, it seems like where we're at just in general. <laughs> in society, I know. I honestly, I put this on Twitter the other day. Like, if I was a DOT, I would tell Delta that they they got reject, like they lose on spec for lying. <laughs> um, so I, I noticed one of your tweets. So one uh, of your tweets was about uh, the Delta claiming, you know, Dulles is not a great connection point, and everyone hates Dulles, and it sucks. But that's uh, true. I, I mean, Dulles is compared to Atlanta, I would pick a, a Dulles over Atlanta. Anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say that's what I was gonna say, Foz. Like, would you rather connect in? Uh, just kind of a crappy terminal, or would you rather connect in the hellhole that is Atlanta? Sorry to any Atlanta listeners, but yes, your airport sucks. So I'm not sorry. <laughs> I thought the more interesting one was Delta was uh, Delta's claim that Dulles and Newark are too close to each other to provide any diversity, and they should be considered the same point. So by that point, JFK and LaGuardia are too close, so they should give up the LaGuardia operation. <laughs> <laughs> They're much closer, certainly, or JFK in Boston. And like it was like they shouldn't get like it's it doesn't provide enough diversity for connectivity for consumers because they're so close to each other. So you, you'd want to be able to connect people through a different place. It's like, no, don't you just want to make sure they have like a connecting flight? Um oh also the Delta argued that even though the DC area represents like fifteen percent of total demand to Cape Town nonstop, and Atlanta decidedly does not, uh it shouldn't count because most of those people live on the Maryland side, not in Loudoun County near Dulles. And so by the time they drive to Dulles and park and take their flight, it would be faster to just drive to BWI or DCA, fly to Atlanta, connect, and then fly to Cape Town. Yeah, that, that, what, what kind of... So that when your flight gets diverted, canceled oh, on your way out of Atlanta... No, let's not even go with Iran. Let's assume everything goes well. What kind of crack are they smoking? Yeah, like in a perfect world, okay, I can take the nonstop or I can take a connection, nonstop, done. Like, even, I, like, even if I have to drive an hour and a half to the airport, which... Yeah. Oh, right, agree. I'm with you. I was, just, I was just reading this and I was like, wait, this is about as good as their theory that like, yeah, that like the, the graphs, if we can, we can just show a 4x difference for something that's actually 4% different in the graphs because that's cool. Um, it's I mean, absolutely bizarre. This is this is like claiming that passengers don't care about airline miles anymore from Delta. So yes. it's about right. I mean, I, uh, maybe we need to just apply for jobs at the DOT. Maybe we just need to start an airline. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go that far. Um, yes. <laughs> I would rather have a job at the DOT and like actually have these hearings in person and like, ask the actual questions so that they have to go on record saying this stuff. But I'm sorry. Were you serious about that? <laughs> I think it's usually my question, and I would never get the job as a result. I would like to know how they figured out that there's more people in Maryland going to Cape Town than in Virginia. Uh, based, it's uh, it's not necessarily going to. It's based on uh, emigres, people who were born in South Africa from census data. They can get it. But that's a very big generalization you're making. Yes. Oh, it's terrible use of data. Going back to my whole problem of I want to disqualify them for lying, basically with data. But. So, do you think do you think Delta loses, or do you think we just have some people who really love Delta and DC that are going to give them the slot? I, I think, despite it, the misrepresentation of the data in the ways that it's it's doing so, the real question becomes: Is public good better served by having two different airlines to theoretically provide some level of price competition, or does one airline offering a more af- efficient, probably not the right word, but um, uh, six day a week is certainly better than three day a week. 
And, you know, is, is customer choice better served by having an airline doing a more consistent level of service where like, you know, the person in Little Rock can go any day of the week now or six out of seven and just connect and do work at one end and Dallas at the other versus having to go to Atlanta or getting to go to Atlanta. But now it's two different airlines if they need to come on their own day. Yeah, but that's not a fair. I, I don't think that's a fair question because we all know that the airline might say, well, we'll do six days and then three months in once they've got it or two months in like, ah, oh, loads aren't what we want. So we're dropping half of it. If they drop them, uh, the other one would pick them up. They both indicated that. And that's a standard, pretty standard duty policy. If they get revoked, the other one is an alternate. But how long can they suspend it without losing it? Very little typically. So especially I mean, in this case, Foz, that because it's, it'll be the, it's the separate three slot allocation. Mm-hmm. So United can't drop down to like, if United drops down to three a week again, it would be, three from Newark and three from Dulles. I don't think they'd be able to say, oh, we're going to run two from Dulles and one from Newark and like try to squat on both sets of three. I don't think that would work. But can they, are they tied to the airport or are they going to pull Delta and say, we're going to do this from here and then move it later? They are tied to the airport. And when Delta did that, Delta had to apply to the DOT for permission as well. And generally was able to, because it was unopposed. Certainly it would become opposed if, you know, if they tried to pull a fast one like that. Also what airport would Delta move them to? JFK. JFK. And try to compete against Newark? Yeah. With no connecting but, traffic? No minimal <laughs> connecting traffic? I mean, the, the reason they think this route's going to work is the connections, not the O&D. So. I, I was going to say, I think the price, like you make you make the price point, um, I think the price point's a, a moot point, right? We, we know that airlines, that's not collusion, but they just look at each other's pricing data and, and pretty much price. It's, legal, it's legalized collusion. Yes. And, that, and that's what's happening domestically now. It's happening pretty much internationally now. Um, they, they they might have a sale here and there, but for the most part, these airlines just match. They, 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 they always match price. price or, there's a level of matching involved, and I'll agree with that. I feel like on routes where there is truly no competition, the fares are typically higher per mile flown or whatever other metric you want to use than not. Yeah. So, yes, they might have the same number, but that doesn't mean the number couldn't be higher if they weren't both there. True, true. Fair enough. But yeah, it's, I'm not sure which of those things, you know, the government's going to look at and ultimately make the decision on. I could, for all of the other idiocy and Delta's application, I could see that the, I could see the DOT saying, you know what, we do want the diversity of airlines. And and, and when, and when does this decision get made? Pretty quickly. Um, within the next month or so, I think. Okay. Well, I guess we'll be talking about it again soon. Indeed. Um, United's Pratt and Whitney powered the triple sevens are making their comeback. Uh, yeah, okay. slowly but surely. I don't know that slow. It was like eight or ten already back in service. I think. Yeah, I posted when one was coming out of Victorville, uh, and then it was going to L.A. and doing some like I think test flights out of out of L.A. with no passengers, and now it's in full service doing Denver to San Francisco, Denver to L.A., Denver to Newark. I think I saw or Chicago to Newark. Is this domestic config or international? It's yes. the it's the yes, <laughs> it's the old Hawaii config with the backwards facing seats. Ugh. It's burn them down. There are some Polaris config ones also coming out, um, but they are not flying international yet. So you just you just made Voss sad. <laughs> You're welcome. No, I don't care that they're not flying international. I'm just bummed that they got brought back the battleships. Yeah, the IPTE configs are still going to be there. Those weren't getting upgraded. I mean, that I was the upgrade, although. Some of them have screens in the seats, at least. They could have just burned them down. <laughs> well, no, that's uh, why they fixed the engine, see? I, f- I feel like those are going to go back to doing, like, SFO to Honolulu and Denver to yeah. Honolulu and some of that stuff, which isn't S- great. But... SFO to Newark. Did they put those on that? Oh, yeah, SFO Newark, LA Newark. It was the worst plane to get stuck on because you, your upgrade would never clear and you're in a shit seat no matter where you are on the plane. Yeah, I mean, there's no premium economy on them. I'm surprised. Yeah. It was one thing when there was the 252 config, but the 343s are awful. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, Turkish is uh, taking some Aeroflot uh, uh, A350s. Yeah, it turns out that uh, when you're uh, subject to a massive uh, sanctions regime, that's really hard to buy new airplanes. So Airbus basically is... There's actually a whole lot of stuff going on in terms of, gosh, they can't legally use this highly valuable resource. I guess we'll just sell it elsewhere going on with regard <laughs> to Aeroflot. Um, Air, uh, Airbus is selling, I think, five A350-900s to Turkish. Wow. 
uh, as a result that were originally destined for Aeroflot. Um, there's also, in some ways, more interesting to me because uh, whatever, but uh, landing slots. Aeroflot's about to lose all of its landing slots in Europe. Wow. Including Heathrow. Oh, there you go. Right? So this is the slots are use it or lose it. And even with COVID, there are certain limited exemptions to that. Like if you apply and say there's extenuating circumstances, but the European regulators have declared that uh, we declared war on a our neighboring country and are now subject to economic sanctions is not a valid excuse. So come end of the season, uh, assuming the sanctions are still in place, uh, the regulators will not allocate new slots to Aeroflot and existing slots that have not been used so far this season, which they haven't since February, will no longer have uh, validity. The, I forget the, the historic, historical use rights. They're no longer considered. His, they're no longer. And so that's the you get to keep the ones you've historically used has always been a thing. And that's why the airlines fly ghost flights or whatever um, to sort of make sure that their slots remain in use. So the Heathrow slots are going away. But in reading the document, that uh, the company that manages Heathrow slots put out. My take is that he, that Aeroflot is about to lose all its slots at all the other European airports too. Hmm. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah, all of them except uh, Istanbul. Yeah, I was thinking all the stuff flying to Istanbul. That's right. Keep, <laughs> but, yeah, they can keep <laughs> Istanbul and uh, Minsk. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the hot, just, all the hot destinations in Europe. Yeah. You know, Turkish Mint. stuff. They, they, <laughs> and they. I would assume that they're minting cash, shuttling their silks. Uh, not even just the oligarchs, but the middle class has been spending plenty of time in Turkey and enjoying their vacations still, despite the war. So, can Arafat sell their slots to Turkish? Nope. They will. They uh, the regulators will not honor slot trades. They are just being revoked. Wow. But what if they did it in the season? No. They. No transactions related to the slots can be affected because of the sanctions. Okay. They, they right, didn't account for that. All right, United, prep your prep your ear well, pocketbooks <laughs> or JetBlue. Yeah, get so, your but here's the other thing: is these aren't slots to be purchased. They go into the lottery. They go into the lottery. Oh. And I don't know how ACL is the name of the company. Uh, Airport Coordination Limited. Uh, I don't know how they actually pick. It's I don't whoever know who, bribes them the most. So, yeah, but um, I think there's also supposed to be some other signs around it. So it's it's going to be super interesting to see how that goes. It's going to be someone like Air Peace or some, you know, fly-by-night carrier gets them. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, WestJet got a bunch this season, so it's not always completely. But did they get ones for the season or for in perpetuity? I thought WestJet got real ones allocated versus just temporaries, but I'm not sure. Either way, the slot thing is going to be super interesting to see play out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and then uh, Cutter, what about them and the A350? Something's, uh, something's up. So they had two remaining on their order that are the subject of the paint surface, mm-hmm. whatever dispute. Um, and in a lawsuit, they fought with, associated with the lawsuit that was filed in uh, London, uh, the ruling last week said that. Airbus is allowed to sell those two planes to a different airline now and sort of cancel them off of the air of the Qatar Airways order. But Qatar thinks it's also a win because they're getting a relatively uh, quick trial date. I, I don't know, but yeah, no, they, those two are going to go on the market. It would seem. So who knows where they'll end up. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, again, like those are planes with a long lead time and there's plenty of people that seem to want them uh, at various points. And after a few years or a couple of years now, people are sort of wanting to start taking some new wide bodies again. But yeah, where, where do they end up? And especially with 777X delays, airlines that have mixed operations and could use them could benefit from this. I mean, Turkish taking the Aeroflot ones. Do you think Turkish would want these? Sure. Yeah. I don't know how much I don't know how much growth they really want to support, and yeah, they have a weird fleet, right? Because I mean, they've got the seven eighty sevens, they've got a three fifties. Inspired it's... by his excellently his excellency Akbar Al Baker, yeah, we'll take two of those. Um, <laughs> seems to be the fleet planning approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, Norse is starting London to JFK, and they're actually going to launch it. Yeah, on my birthday. Isn't that nice of them? Are you Are you on the flight? 
I have not booked it. Um, You're thinking about it though. I don't really want to. So that's, that's <laughs> that. <laughs> um, also, if I I'm going to Europe for three weeks, and then I'm going to probably go back for a week for the Farnborough Air Show, and so going a third time to London just for shits and grins in August when it's going to be really hot there doesn't super appeal to me. Yeah, I get it. And also when you know. In theory, COVID is still a problem. Although, at least I've got natural antibodies now. Yay! <laughs> um, so, so what about the seven eighty seven piece of this? Is it going to be on a seven eighty seven? Is it? It will be seven eighty seven. So that's all they're flying. Um, Gatwick to JFK. Interesting slot times. It's a like a six p.m. departure from JFK. Gets into Gatwick around six something in the morning, um, and like I want to say it's like a one o'clock departure from Gatwick that gets in it three or four to JFK. So it's actually reasonable times. I don't love the early, early flight going over, but yeah, uh, all things being equal, it's not terrible. I like um, the afternoon return to the U S yeah. that's, that's nice. And, but also it's, uh, they're going to do a Gatwick to Oslo turn as well. So hmm. the plane will sort of, will come in from JFK, sit for a couple hours and then go on to Oslo and a different plane will go Oslo to Gatwick, sit for a couple hours and then finish the trip to JFK. Um, it's super funny to me that they're like, oh, in their press release, like, and yes, because we have this now, this flight to uh, Oslo as well, our Gatwick customers can connect onwards to Fort Lauderdale or Orlando or Los Angeles on our non stops from Oslo. And you go and you look at the flight schedules, and you're like, all of those require an 18 to 22 hour <laughs> connection, including an overnight on the ground in Oslo. So that seems like a pretty, and they won't sell it to you as a single ticket. You'd have to buy separate tickets and all the extra fees twice. They didn't say it was a good connection. That's true. <laughs> they just said it's there. No, it's <laughs> to be fair, it's probably on par with the United connection these days. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, so that's not great. Um, but again, presumably it's all related to when they had slots available. Someone also suggested like, and also maybe they learned from, you know, since it's the same people that did Norwegian or many of the people had learned from the Norwegian debacle long haul. Maybe they learned that you don't schedule 90 minute turns everywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> so they went the other way. Well, you know, they can always tighten things up later. I don't entirely uh, fault them for that. But So they do they fly Oslo to JFK? Is that a that's, plan? That's going to be the first route. I think it starts. Soon. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. I was just wondering because, like, it's interesting that they're like, "Oh, you can go to you know." Yeah. No, it's because it's a JFK will be the first route with two or first destination with two options. Gotcha. Um, I mean, their prices aren't bad. Premium for four fifty one way. I mean, that's without anything. Middle of summer. Yeah. I mean, that's it's premium still, light. That's still not bad. Give that's without a seat assignment in advance and without any bags. It's still not bad. But that's in their that's in their business class cabin. Yeah, it's thirty forty three inch pitch. It's the old Norwegian. It's yeah. they're at the same plane, so it's the old seats too. Uh, forty three inch pitch, two three two on a seven eighty seven. It's fine, um, but if you want to actually pick a seat and not end up stuck in the middle, or want to have a bag with you, uh, assume that that's an extra hundred to like, dollars. Yeah, it's like ninety bucks more. It's, yeah. The fees are steep. You don't get a seat selection until you're at the highest level. That's correct. Wow. But they have an economy flight, an economy ticket from Oslo to New, uh, L.A. for two hundred dollars. Yes. How, how, I mean, <laughs> because they expect that you're also gonna, you know, bring a bag with you and pay a hundred dollars for that, and probably want a snack on board and pay fifty dollars for that, or thirty five for the snack. I mean, the ancillaries are very expensive, but that's the model. I mean. I, I might just have to do this just because it's so damn compared to everybody else. It's so cheap and I can fly with a backpack only. So, and you'll start regretting about by the time, even before you push back, I was going to say, he's going to regret it the minute. He books it like most trips. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I, I've, I've, Too easy. I'm sorry. I've just stopped. You know, I love you. I've just stopped. I've, I've just stopped booking them. So, I mean, you know, well, step in the right direction, which yeah. I got to get you back to booking things. That you're going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about other seats, right? So uh, K- KLM's new premium economy is uh, out. Like they've, it's not out, but it's they've actually given uh, indication that it is real. It's um, real. First flight's end of July to JFK, and they're they're also getting a new business seat. Is that new business seat? Well, it's, I think the business is going to be the triple sevens are a two 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 now, and they're going to go to the one two one reverse herringbone. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought that they're getting doors right with doors. Yeah. 
Oh man, great! It's it's going to look a lot like the Air France seats we talked about last week or two weeks ago, I think. But still separate vendors. For the life of me, I cannot <laughs> understand how they're still running separate procurement operations for those two airlines. Yeah, that's anyway. wild. Um, and then Air France has hinted at a new F seat. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we, go back to KLM. Uh, it's new business, but also new premium economy, uh, which they did not have before. Yeah. Um, it's going to go on all the 787s and this 777s over the next 18 months. And it's a Collins MIQ seat, which it looks like a pretty nice seat. I think it's a good product, except they put the USB A and C outlets on the inside of the sort of seat divider armrest right at the front of your thigh. So you can like have them either poking into your leg and or break them off on the regular. Yeah. This, this, this decision does not make a ton of sense to me. Like what, what was the, did you run out of space in the front? I, I don't, I would assume. Uh, well, then you need to come up with a better way to do it. Cause this is terrible. Like any kind of movement in the seat from your leg is going to hit the USB yeah. outlets. I'm sure part of the theory is, oh, well, it's a wider seat, so your leg won't that be pressed up against I know. <laughs> your leg won't be pressed up against it. Um, I mean, shit, United and Delta are sparring over the 0.1-inch seat width difference advertised on the 787 and A350. So, Which also, I can't believe that the Delta uh, A350 is only advertising a 17.3-inch wide seat. But not, anyway. something to, not something to brag about? Well, Airbus <laughs> generally markets all their seats as 18 inches wide. Yeah. So I don't know if Delta, I, I, seat width is not a standard measurement. It's also is a problem. So like they might be measuring different things, but well, remember Delta has the door. So that probably takes <laughs> not an economy. Oh, that's, that's fair. But in business. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No, so I was, I was switching to economy first. The stupidity of seat width conversations, but um, anyway, uh, yeah, that, I think the premium economy seat looks actually pretty nice except for, this also like KLM hyped up like we're gonna do a special meal service for passengers and but all of it's like it's all plastic tray food or like hmm. it's, it's plastic bowls and plates so it's not in the tray but it's not real Chinaware and it's trying to sort of walk that fine line of nicer but still environmentally friendly and that's a hard place to be. How is plastic environmentally friendly? It's lighter and it's so still burn less fuel. <laughs> yeah, you burn less fuel, so that helps. Also, the, except the fuel that you burn making it because it's petrol based. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the that was my point. The amount of energy it's reusable is the theory. Versus, I don't know. That's the argument. I would love to know how many reuses they get out of it. I think that's going to be an interesting question. Also, the terrible situation in society we live in, where you can't do anything because every you know everything gets judged. Well, no, just like I don't. Know, did you guys watch The Good Place? I, I watched the beginning few seasons. Okay. Yeah. It's where you get to the scoring system. Like everything you do ends up being terribly scored because, like the fall off, fall on effects, no matter what, are awful. Yeah. And there's, yeah, you can't use plastic because making it sucks. But even if it's lighter to carry, uh, you can't use ceramic because it's too heavy, so you burn more fuel that way. Like, you but you still have to like serve a meal on the plane at some level, or you just, people are going to buy it themselves, and that's even less efficient. And 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 it's just. But there, no I mean, like bamboo is a good alternative, more durable, more expensive. Much- more expensive, sure, but not as heavy. Yep. Oh, I'm with you. It's it's. But remember, Foz, where it's a public corporation, and the, the number one rule of a public corporation is to make money for the shareholders. So you can't necessarily make good decisions when that's yeah. the case. But you're going to end up spending more money in the long run. Uh, don't, you don't have to tell me. I'm with you. They just need better spreadsheet jockeys. <laughs> They need Delta spreadsheet jockeys. No, that doesn't add up half the time. <laughs> um, but but on the top of this, right, KLM is really struggling with uh, some cancellations that they've had. some cancellations. Yeah, I mean a lot of cancellations. Uh, and this is all due to lines in uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, this I read they stopped selling tickets for the weekend. Yeah. Sort of. They zeroed everything but Y and J, like full Y and full J. But yeah. Um, yeah, they were trying to reduce the number of passengers passing through. Uh, so this is, did we talk about the other day when, um, when, uh, the UK, the regulators for the slots said you have to have fewer passengers. We did. Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea, right? They're just trying, they're trying to keep fewer passengers because people can't get through the lines fast enough. And that's delaying flights because they're at the airport, but can't board and like their bag is on, but they're still stuck in the security line or whatever. And so it's, you run into a 
terrible situation of like, do I take the bag off or just wait for the person to show up? Both of them take 20 minutes. What do you do? Um, no, it's, it's a pretty awful situation. Um, Dublin's having problems with security lines again. I can't wait to fly out of there in a couple of weeks. Um, it's, there's a lot of problems and EasyJet canceled 25 flights a day out of Gatwick, maybe 24 flights a day out of Gatwick over the midterm break for 10 days because they know they can't handle the loads. Well, and didn't Delta just announce that they're doing a Delta's thinning, its, thinning its schedule. Uh, thinning. They, they canceled 200 flights proactively each day for Memorial Day weekend. Like that's not good for passengers. 20,000 affected 2000, yeah. no, 20,000 affected people. Am I doing that math right? hundred first flight. It, it, like it's a lot adds up and it's more than that. It adds up in a hurry. Like that's a lot of people. And yes, canceling in advance is better than canceling day of, but canceling a week out and telling someone, Oh, well fine. We'll give you a refund and your $200 EU credit or whatever, $300 EU credit, but good luck on summer vacation. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not good. And what did, what was Delta's reasoning? It was the, that they basically have a pilot shortage as well, right? They're kind of seeing the effects of that. Well, as officially stated, it's, you know, due to scheduling constraints and air traffic and blah, 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 blah. We can't run a reliable operation. Scuttlebutt is that much like the rest of the industry, they're having pilots who are sick and unable to get into work just like everybody else. So, yeah. I mean, it has to be a hard time for people, pilots and flight attendants that commute given how full everything is. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I did some drama on that. Yeah, Instagram. I've I've followed a few people who were like, "Oh, I waited eight hours and I finally made it." You know, yeah. <laughs> but like you know, the storms Friday night. Uh, yeah, Friday night going into the weekend. Like United had a Miami to Newark flight that diverted to maybe Harrisburg, and like yes. they were like, "Hey, thanks, we, we got you here safely." And people were like, "But this is Harrisburg." Like, "Yep, we got you here." <laughs> and like United, I, I think the crew timed out, but like they canceled the onward flight, and they were like, "Good luck." Orange County, Newark diverted to Buffalo. Did it stay there? Uh, they did. did they did eventually leave. Yeah, I mean, there's there were a lot of diversions last night. So, and I was actually surprised the Aer Lingus, the Aer Lingus flight flew just over eight hours before finally diverting to Hartford. And it, I've I've always had trouble figuring out like duty day versus flight hour day. And there's the like a special allowance of an emergency slash important situation. So you can extend it two hours if you get extra rest at the end. And they, they were basically able to use that extra two hour rest window today on the overnight because there were 24 hours on the ground anyways um, to extend it and actually finish the trip. But I was, I was worried they were going to divert and not be able to get the people to or the plane to where it actually needed to be in the end. Welcome to Hartford, uh, New York North. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, oh, it's only a two and a half hour bus ride. Yeah. Like, assuming you could get buses to show up on the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. Sure. <laughs> well, the storm is yesterday, right? They, after they left New York, the New York yeah, area, they, they, went to to <laughs> they went through to Harvard and then to Boston, yeah. which is where all the planes were diverting to. Or the, the planes coming on the, from the Atlantic. Like, there was basically a line of storms that you couldn't cross. And so you had to wait till it passed you by. But anyway, <laughs> not um, summer's going to suck for travel. I highly recommend not doing it. So Virgin Australia and Cutter have a loyal loyalty reciprocity now, right? Or it's coming. Announced, yeah. I, I guess if you have Qatar Airways Avios now, you can use them on Qantas or Virgin Australia. Hmm, interesting. Right, because Qantas is a, is a one world partner. Yeah. But also has the weird relationship with Emirates. So I think this is I think this is to counter the Emirates relationship, but it's but you can theory because Virgin Australia's partner with United, you could also book United stuff with these now. Yes. This is getting so incestuous. <laughs> I, I'd rather have more options than fewer, but yeah, I mean, it's night. I mean, the, cause there aren't a lot of options to Australia and Oceania in general. So having more is, is a good thing, especially, you know, now Americans not going to fly what uh, LA to, or is yeah, it Dallas to Auckland? They're, they're, they're giving they're moving, up LA. They're, yeah, they're giving yeah. up LA, Auckland, and moving that to Dallas, and me unknown about Christchurch. But the problem is, right? Well, the, this is, comes off as a perceived another option. It just in the end goes back to that. If you if everything becomes interconnected, it becomes collusion. Yeah. Well, and and you can't. It's not like you can find availability easily today, right? Like so. Now you you're adding more all the availability pool. you want in coach. Yeah, but not in a premium cabin. And uh, and now you're going to have more people fighting for those same seats. So. Yeah, I will say I'm ha- well. A Virgin Australia doesn't have much of a premium product down there, and anyway. there sort of is, but 
Um, that's not what, you know, so what, if you're fighting for the hops within Australia, which is mostly what they operate, the coach is probably yeah. what you're going to get. Um, having those coach seats available has, was a very, very helpful to me making changes to my trip. Yeah. So, you know, I, what I, I was booked to go and coach anyways, finding an alternate routing when I needed to switch it by five days um, was real helpful. So I'm not too mad. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's more for the Trans-Pacific stuff. Like, I'm thinking yeah. of, like, the long-haul things. Like, it, it, I think Alaska, for one one port, part of this, I think Alaska needs to change some of their routing rules, what they allow and what they don't allow, to align better with the rest of the alliance. Because You want them to let you fly Qatar Airways from Seattle to Sydney. Exactly, exactly. Because right now, you're limited to Qantas and, or, or uh, Fiji, Fiji Airlines or JAL. And you're not going to find anything on JAL uh, right now. Um and I don't know that I would want to risk connecting in Japan um, until it's open. And then on Fiji Airlines, the, all you can find is coach. So I would rather I would rather go the long way. At that point, it's gonna be it's gonna be twenty six hours one way or the other. So <laughs> it's, it's you know yeah. Anyway, um, and then on top of that, uh, Alaska pilots have uh, voted to authorize a strike, but aren't on strike yet. No, so no fear mongering here, but it could be coming. Uh, okay, I think. I, think I, was, it, sorry, I was gonna say I think if it happens it'll happen quickly, right? Like they've 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 put everything in place to to authorize the strike, and so when it does happen, it's just gonna happen in a day or two. Like it's not gonna be well, So it's there's still sort of some rules about when and how it can happen, right? Yeah. There's they're in mediation and negotiations and stuff. I think if mediation fails, they can be released to strike, sort of, but Yeah. We'll see. I'm trying to remember the last time there was an actual airline pilot strike. It's been a while. But it's just the time to go on strike. Right? Well, do yes. they care? Well, they should Why care. Because right? we're in the middle of a recession. The economy is contracting. And if they push for too much, the company can be bankrupt within a matter of a few quarters. Counterpoint, the airlines have recovered nicely, even with the recession on our claiming record yields. And as the labor involved who had made compromises for years to get to this point, why not give us some of that back instead of letting it go to management and shareholders? Because, and that's fine, but I understand what your point is, but in, at the time when the economy is going to contract some more inflation is, is skyrocketing, people will spend less to get on these planes. And it's just a matter of time before the, the industry contracts. I think that there will be some slowdown in the spending for airfare. Despite all of despite the inflation that has been now a year plus of very high, it hasn't shown up yet. So I can, I certainly understand what you're saying. I'm not sure the data supports it yet. I don't. I think my disagreement would be that I don't think historic precedent applies in this case for what happens when inflation goes up because nothing seems to be following the same like yeah. historic norms, right? Contraction of yeah. spending and. I, I think, you know, I, my, my rough take is, you know, w- people are still buying today because they haven't been able to travel for two years or haven't traveled as much for two years. Yep. Will they also buy at Thanksgiving and Christmas or they're like, screw it. I got to like, I planned the summer trip. I'm going, we got to get out of here. And then they'll, and they'll sort of blow their budget for the one trip and then deal with, you know, later in the year when it happens and we'll see where we're at. That's my rough, you know, I can sort of. Personally, that's sort of where I'm at. Like, we're going on vacation this summer. We had to figure it figured out. We got the stuff booked away. We paid a little more than we normally would have. We're doing it. The, the jury is very much still out on Thanksgiving and Christmas, whereas historically it would have been, of course we're going to go. So, I mean, I think the, the airlines probably have data on what's coming in the fall, right? They know. They Not know. Really, though. Well, true. But I'm saying, like, bookings up till now, right? Like, they, they know what people are booking right now for they the fall. They know what people are booking now for the fall, but... Booking windows have been shrinking anyways. Yeah. I would say the number of seats that are booked 90 days out now is virtually none. I mean, it's, a, it's would, a very small number compared to 10 years ago. I would argue for the holidays, though, that's an exception. Yeah. Like people, people, are, people plan that a little more because they're afraid they won't be able to. Yeah. And that that is like where while everything is increasing in price, and if that's the trend, people will think that they can they should lock their spot in now if they need to go somewhere for the holidays. Assuming, I, they, assuming they have the cash available, yeah. Yeah. But I I think I, I can see the summer not being affected by the inflationary pressures and the stupidly high fares nearly as much as back half of the year and into early next. That's all I'm yeah, saying. I don't think it's gonna be anything in the next three months, but 
you know, I think, you know, as we go into the second half of the calendar year in early 2023, I think that's when the bulk of the pain is going to be. And if you push too much out of, from the pilot's perspective, if you guys push too much on the airline and then you go into a contracting environment, you've in essence screwed yourself. Yeah. Well, there's also the part where we really have absolutely no idea what the two parties are, what, what, where they stand in the negotiation and what the sticking points are. Yeah. Um, can we, can we talk about that briefly before we end the show? Like airfare is absolutely insane right now. God. Yes. Like unbelievably. It it is. And yet the other day I thought I was gonna have to make a day trip to Philadelphia from Boston and I could still get like three day advance purchase, 250 bucks round trip. So that's it. That's interesting because there are some I, really weird markets out there. Yeah, because I've been seeing the same stuff to Boston from you know Philadelphia and, and the New York area, but it, to go to the middle of the country or to go to Florida, yeah. it's freaking or the West Coast, it's ridiculous. It's six hundred yeah. bucks each way. I think yeah. part of that is that those the Boston markets to Philly and New York were basically business shuttles, and there's huge volume because it's a short enough flight that they can just bounce back and forth all the time, and protect slots in some cases um, and demand isn't there. The business travel demand isn't there yet. Yeah. I, I, I think like I'm looking at, I was had, I might have to go to Florida in the middle of June and I was looking at prices just up and down the West coast to Florida um, coach uh, 1400 bucks, yep. which is, I mean, it's, that's nuts. Yes. So maybe it'll give me an excuse not to go. <laughs> the camp is lovely. Uh, yeah, I, go, I, hang I mean, out Ebor, go hang out in Ebor City and go clubbing. If I, if I could just go to like Maria, what is it, uh, Maria, like the Maria Island, like somewhere that's like quiet on the beach, I'd be cool with that. But East Tampa is not my jam. So anyway, I'm shocked to hear that, Stephen. What's that? I'm shocked to learn this about. <laughs> um. Anyway, well, I think that's a show, guys. Uh, and yeah. coming up in the bonus, we've got some. Uh, Fighting, other fighting, real fighting. <laughs> Not just us uh, talking. Yeah, and then uh, some Breeze A220 updates. Um, so uh, if you're a Patreon, Patreon subscriber, stick around. You'll hear that. If not, you can join us on Patreon. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you later. <laughs>